Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. When you think of professional athletes, many of you probably think of the rich kid who's getting paid millions of dollars to play a child's game. But the truth is, professional sports is big business. And when you're in America, there's not much bigger than the NFL. Football is it. But what's that pressure like? Mm. Welcome to episode number 39. Today, I have a colleague of mine, Dr. John DeWitt. He's currently a chiropractor and a nutritionist, but before this career, he played professional football for 12 years, not to mention college and high school. So I wanted to have him on so we can dive into this pressure, this competitiveness. What side effects does it have mentally? What side effects does it have physically? Dr. John DeWitt, hello, sir. Well, hello. My first question to you is, how crazy does someone have to be to put pads and helmets on and collide into each other? You know, when you really think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> it uh it's one of those things where everybody else is doing it and it's a popular thing. And so you're like, Oh, okay. That's what all the cool people do. And yeah. so you go out there and beat yourself up. And yeah. it's, it's crazy because I uh, had friends in high school. There was one guy that he was a little bitty guy and he would just throw himself in there like a kamikaze, just smashing back when they had the wedge on kickoff return where they don't even have anymore. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he would just sacrifice himself and he had probably, 10 concussions a year and finally had to stop playing because in even back then they were just like, you know what, that's a little too much. You're knocking yourself out all the time. And I'm like, mm. I, Oh, Hmm. Yeah, that's a problem. And I mean, it just, the thing that's scary is that there's so much money behind it at this point now, and you know, in the NFL and in college and stuff that it's not, it's not going to go away. I mean, that's just, that's a given. And yeah. so they're trying to figure out ways to say, okay, well don't play full contact you know, until maybe you're 13, 14 and you can play flag football up until that point. And that way you're not getting the contact and your brain's a little safer and you're not going to get as messed up as you would if you played, you know, regular contact. I mean, I was playing full contact. Well, first year I played was, I was in the second grade mm. playing full contact football, but I, I only went to two practices and I dropped my mouthpiece in the dirt and I thought I had to put it back in. And so then I was like, I don't, I don't like this. And so then I didn't play again until like the sixth grade, but anyway, it, um, it's just something that that people just think is fun and you run around and don't realize the real damage until later. And, that, and that's the thing too, that like I was saying with the flag football, that whole theory is, well, if, if you delay the number of concussions, then you have a less likely chance of getting uh, the CTE and the long-term brain damage and things like that. Right. And, uh, but I mean, if you're already, you know, already been through that and went through two days, like I did, I mean, anybody that's, probably older than 30 they had two-a-day practices which they don't have anymore and they were just going all day long and and it's the physics of it because like they're all talking about oh, we're having these fancy helmets that we're making and it's going to absorb the shock and it's going to keep it's 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 physics it's inertia a, a, an object in motion is going to stay in motion yeah. and the brain yes i have my fancy little brain here yeah is suspended in cerebral spinal fluid inside the skull. So it's kind of floating around in here. I mean, it's connected to the spinal cord, obviously, and stuff. But it's got a, a membranous a protective layer on the outside called the dura mater that, that actually connects it to the skull. But it's just kind of floating around in there. So if you're going along really fast and stop really fast, that's going to hit the front of the helmet or the front of the skull, regardless of what kind of helmet you have, because you were going fast and then you stop. So right. it's going to go that way. And then it right. also sloshes back and hits in the back, too. So this whip, is where whiplash. all our major processing happens in the front of the brain. Yeah. In the back, this is where um, the visual process, the visual cortex and where you process vision is from or, or originates. So it's one of those things that, you know, you, you can't do anything about it. And, and you're not going to stop it. And people, I mean, there are a lot of people that are just like, you know, this is the only chance that my family has of having anybody that gets a college education 
and can make you know really good money potentially. And now some of the schools, especially in California, they're looking to um, let the college athletes get a percentage of what the money is that the school makes. Right. So they're put, they're putting their bodies on the line oh, yeah. for a school to make money, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's scary because I mean, you get the fans and everybody's out there like, Oh, it's great. So much fun. Oh man. He really, you know, hit that guy. And I wouldn't want to play right now because I wouldn't, I would probably get thrown out of the game. Cause I wouldn't know. I would think it was a good hit and they'd be like, Oh, that was targeting. And that was a personal right, foul. Right. And the I'm rule, like, the rules, have, the, guy out. <laughs> the rules have completely changed. The quarterback is very much more protected now. Oh, right? yeah. That's why they're yeah. throwing for so many yards. And I mean, the whole thing, I just, I mean, I was a defensive end. And so I was just always, you're always trying to to hit the quarterback. And I mean, the best thing ever, literally, we were told if the quarterback ever threw an interception, I don't care where the ball is, find the quarterback and hit him as hard as you can, because that's just how it was. And I mean, yeah, it sounds really bad now, but but, but, I mean, at the time, that's just what you did. As a defensive end, you're colliding with the offensive line in every play. Oh, yeah. It's like a little concussion every time you hit. Because, I mean, I remember uh, some of the concussions that I actually remember were uh, in practice where if you get your face mask lined up just the wrong way with the person you're hitting in one-on-one drills, it literally just jars you. And one day in practice, I kind of went cross-eyed for a minute. And normally, (sighs) another rational thing to do is when you're cross-eyed, you sit there and hit yourself in the head until your eyes get straightened out. Mm. And it took me a minute for my eyes to straighten out and then I was fine. And there was no concussion protocol and, Oh my gosh, is he okay? Or it was just like, get back in there. Let's go. I mean, it was just, it was weird. So would you let your children play? Uh, I would let them play flag football. And then, um, I mean, cause statistically I think it's like 2% of people actually go on, I think maybe 5% go on to play college and 2% go on to play professionally. So chances are if they play flag, flag football until they were about 12 or 13, then playing in junior high and high school, I, they're not going to have, enough issue or build up to I mean I wouldn't be super excited about it but if they didn't I wouldn't force them to play if they didn't want to play I wouldn't make them play right right but if they wanted to I would say okay just be careful so CTE is a big thing now and of mm-hmm. course a lot of light was brought to that when the movie came out with Will Smith right how many players are going to walk out of the NFL with this CTE do you think uh, I think probably 75% of them are going to have some degree of it. I mean, obviously kickers aren't going to have, it's all about your, what position you play. Kickers, punters aren't going to have any kind of major issues. Um, But it is just because of the rule changes, I do have to say because of the rule changes, there's going to be less dramatic impact or a reduction. I mean, hopefully that's their whole idea is to have less major collisions, but that's the, the sad thing is, is that's what all the fans want to see. They want to see somebody just get drilled and it's like, ah, and they saw that adrenaline and stuff. Mm. But um, I think it'll be, it'll be less than it was in the past. It's just, I mean, it's just frustrating because here, here's another thing that people don't talk about. So growing up, going through football, you go to practice, you're, you're all beat up. You're kind of like, oh, it's, it's rough. You know, then you go, to uh, the game and eventually when you're playing later on you're getting shot up with all kinds of pain stuff and and injections and anti-inflammatories before you play the game and then so that you can't feel anything and then after the game oh my gosh you're it just hits you like a day or two later where you can't move Mm. and what a lot of the guys do I mean there's obviously all the pain meds now then which is not ideal and I'm not saying they do this now but I know back in the day when you'd be on an away game, you'd be flying back on the plane and the trainer's literally walking down the the aisle of the airplane with a tray of buffalo wings, uh, chicken quesadillas, snacks you want, and, oh, you want some Percocet or some Darvocet, here you go, and take take you a few to get you through the weekend. Oh, my gosh. It's like we weren't – I mean, that was just normal. You're like, okay. But what the guys do too is they self-medicate, and so after games they would – you go home and you start drinking alcohol or – smoking dope nowadays and just to kind of take some of the edge off and I mean it's just I mean it's crazy what you do just to just to deal with it to try to get through and and you just think it's okay and I mean after years of that beating yourself up having all the substances that aren't great for your brain of course there's people that aren't gonna you know remember who they are or remember memories from you know a week ago or so it's just we're not being good to ourselves because we're not thinking long term they had a thing they had a study with high school kids that said, if you could take a pill right now, and these are high school kids, if you could take a pill right now that would guarantee that you would 
uh, win every football game or, or, or I think play professional football or, or something like that, but you would die when you were 40 years old, would you take it? And like 85% of them said, yeah, because mm. 40 when you're in high school sounds like you're ancient. Mm. I mean, it's freaky. I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, just because I'm older now and I'm like, but at he, the time you're kind of like, mm. it just shows you how much human beings sort of get caught up in the ego and mm-hmm. are competitive and they just want to win or, or forget winning. They just want to achieve. It could be in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. People want to achieve something so that they can become quote unquote somebody and they'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that I've also, you know, I do a lot, I do a lot of research like with David Asprey, the, the bulletproof diet guy. And he, and he talks about a lot of like, the biohacking to make sure you're as optimal as possible and trying to really fo- focus on stuff and microdosing a, of LSD and, and all these other things. You're just kind of like, Oh, okay. And, and he's like, there's one particular medication that he took that, um, that he knew the people that started, I think it was sun microsystems or something. A lot of these techie companies where you just have to stay awake for hours and hours and days and days and days to work on all the coding and stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they did that because they were really determined to get this big company built but not thinking about long-term how it's going to affect, affect them health-wise because it's just all about the goal and, and you're like secondary to that. And it's just kind of like, that's really not how, I mean, granted it's good, but you got to have some sort of a rational perspective on it. You just don't want to be like, I'll do whatever it takes, like you were saying, to just to achieve this. It's like, mm, you might want to step back and think twice about that. You played 12 years pro, right? Mm-hmm. Plus four years college? Yep, at Vanderbilt. And then three or four years high school? I played, I started playing in the sixth grade and then played until I was 30 something. So you have played a lot of football in your life Mm -hmm. and you've been at every level. Mm -hmm. What's that pressure like, John, to, to make it, I mean, you're behind the scenes, you're hitting the gym, you got the two a day practices, you got coaches yelling at you. (laughs) I mean, what's it like? to climb the football ladder it's a lot of pressure because and it's an interesting i'm in kind of a unique situation because when i was in high school i uh two day practice had just started and i woke up one morning to go to practice and you know went to the bathroom like i always do and it was like grape kool-aid coming out i was like whoa i'm like whoa what is that and so then i go to the trainer and you know say you know something weird's happening he's all like ah okay sure whatever here when the next time you have to pee let me let me see i'm like all right i was like i can go right now if you want so we went in the into the locker room and he literally took a step back and was like whoa that's really dark i'm like i i know i told you i'm like what does that mean and he's like i don't know so then uh range of tests happen with all kinds of things that I don't wish on anybody and found out that one of my kidneys is 70% smaller than the other one. Mm. And so, um, they basically said, if you get hit in your good kidney and something happens to that, you can't live on your bad kidney on the smaller one. And so I was like, okay, so what does that mean? And my dad was just devastated because he, he had a whole story living vicariously through me because he quit when he was a uh, junior in high school, I think, because he was a really little kid. So he was all excited that I got to play. Mm. And he was all upset. And he's like, we got to, we're going to go to doctors until we find one that says, you know, you're okay to play. I was like, okay. And uh, we, I had to wear this big um, rubber belt around my waist with a big pad covering my kidney in case I get hit there. And I wore that for probably four, four weeks and was just like, this is stupid. And I'm like, if I get hit, I get hit, whatever. And so then, um, but the, the whole point of that story is that uh, my friends in high school said, okay, you're the smart one. I want you to research steroids and tell me which ones we, we should take, which ones work the best and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And I said, okay, well, so I did the research and this was back in the eighties when, I mean, steroids were all over the place. And, uh, and I said, well, if you're going to do it, you don't want to do the pills, the oral stuff, that's going to be the worst for you. And you want to do the injectables, but I mean, it's really bad for your liver and your kidneys and all this stuff. And I literally had just found out like the year before about my kidney. So there's no way I could take it. So mm-hmm. that wasn't even an option for me. And people ask me all the time. It's like, well, why didn't you take that? And I'm like, well, I could have died. And so I'm like, I'm not, uh, I guess I had a little bit of a perspective enough to be like, I'm not willing to kill myself for this. So sorry. I mean, unfortunately I had a friend of mine 
that um, one of those guys, he didn't want to do injections, so he did the pills. And he, um, it was one of his philosophy was if two is good, four is better. And I'm like, uh, okay. And he went on to be a major college athlete, was, was great, all everything. And um, he ended up dying when he was 23. Mm. And it's just, I mean, it's just crazy what people will do, what sacrifices you t- you make because the pressure is ridiculous. Because I was always an underweight guy. I was it, like, it's six, a warrior mentality, right? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Because you you, you a, probably should have stopped as soon as you found out about the kidney issue. Yeah, and but I mean, you know, it was the fun, popular thing to do, and uh, it's just it, it, it's one of those things where the pressure is so immense to, to be better, to do better. I was always undersized. So I was always trying to eat and gain weight. And that's one of the things that the steroids does. It helps you gain weight. But I was just like, well, I can't take that. So I'm going to have to eat even more. And like mentally I had to like tell myself, okay, pretend like you are on them. So that way maybe that'll help you get bigger, stronger and all this stuff. And it was funny because in college there was a guy, um, there were a few guys on the team that they would go, um, home for Christmas and, and before Christmas they couldn't bench 225 once they came back after Christmas and they could do it like 12 times I'm like whoa mm. wait a minute here mm. and um this act this guy actually he ended up going to uh because what happens is the muscle gets really big I don't know why this turned into a steroid story but whatever the muscle gets really <laughs> big but the uh the tendons don't get strong enough to hold the muscle so you pull your muscle a lot because mm. it'll pull off the bone and so you have a lot of muscle straining hamstrings pulls and that kind of stuff so this guy actually went and played in the NFL for, well, he tried out for the NFL, tested out because they test you. I mean, they t- treat you like a, a piece of meat. They're like, okay, they measure your hand from there to there. They have you, when you, when they weigh you, they have you pull your toes up off the floor so that you can't be propping yourself up to make yourself a little taller. And uh, I mean, they, they have a, a mental thing. They ask if you have any uh, relatives or, or ancestors that, that ever played any professional sports just to see if there's like a genetic thing. But he went on, um, down down to try out in the NFL and tested out better than anybody had ever tested in his position. They, they, I mean, they were like, holy mackerel, you're going to be all everything. But then he started pulling his hamstring and then he started pulling his quad and he was injured all the time. And, and finally they had to let him go. He went up to the CFL and he played. Um, and he, and this is a guy that normally in a game, if you have a good game as a defensive guy, you, you make like 10 tackles. That's a good game. He would have 20 or 30 tackles in one game. I mean, he would just literally sacrifice himself. He'd try to help him up after a tackle. And he'd be like, no, no, no. Just let me lay here for a minute. I'm resting. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. uh-huh. and And now he literally is the um, head of player personnel for one of the NFL teams right now. Okay. So, I mean, it all worked out for him. He won a Super Bowl and all that. But it's like, well, but at what cost? I mean, I don't, I haven't seen him in a while. So I don't know, you know, how he's doing physically. But it's just, it's it's the pressure to be the best and, if you if you don't do it, then the guy behind you is. I mean, I did, I used to train with uh, Howie Long's trainer mm. way back in the day, and uh, he we I'd go up to Compton and we trained at this gym, and I'm like working out. And his theory was every time you work out, you should max you should max out, you should lift as heavy as you can every single time because you want to get bigger, right? And I'm just like okay. And his theory also was if there's other guys out there playing football that you're going against that are on steroids, don't you think that it's not fair if you're not on them? And I'm just like. Dude, I already told you this. I can't, I can't take that stuff. Right. And so, I mean, he was great, great guy. And I understand at the time it was exactly what I wanted, but I mean, he literally had me shoulder pressing like 315 and, and crazy stuff. And my shoulders are totally destroyed. Now I had surgery on one, probably need surgery on the other one. And, uh, but at the time I got up to 285 pounds and was just, mm. I, it was awesome. I felt at the time, but then it just, Eventually you're like, what? you don't think after football, you don't think about that. <laughs> right. And how about the coaches? How much pressure did the coaches put on you? Cause they're, you know, coaches seem, they try to get the best out of you, but some of them are also kind of compassionate and they hug you and they kind right, of take right, you under right. their wing. And, yeah. you know, where do the coaches fall into this pressure of climbing the football ladder? Um, it's interesting because my defensive line coach at Vanderbilt, um, cause I told him straight up, I got to a point, I, was, I literally had to call him every single time, and this was before cell phones, I had to call him every single time I ate. So if I went to McDonald's and had a Big Mac or something, I'd call him up, he'd be like, what'd you eat? And I'd tell him, he'd be like, go eat another Big Mac. I'd be like, 
okay. And so finally, after an off season of that, I was sick of it. And I was like, you know what? If you want me to, because he told me, I, I don't even, I think I weighed 240 pounds at the time. And he told me he wanted me to weigh 280. And I was like, there's no way I can gain 40 pounds in two months. It's not mm. going to happen. And I was like, and, and I got really honest with him one time. I went into his office and I said, you know what? If I'm going to do that, the only way I can do that is if I take steroids. And I mean, you know, is that all right with you? And, and he was like, well, and it was really interesting. His answer was, well, I don't know. Let's talk to the, let's talk to the head coach. And I was like, okay, I didn't expect him to say that. And we talked to the head coach and, or he pulled me into his office one day and I thought I was going to like be in trouble for even mentioning it. Because like I said, there were, I knew there were all kinds of guys that were on him. And, uh, and he said, you know what? I know I want to win and you know, you know that I want to win, but I don't want you to sacrifice your health. So I don't want you to take them. And if you are taking them, I want you to get off of them. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. I was like, God, cause even if I was taking them, I would, he just wasn't mad about it. He was like, just stop taking them. I'm like, that was a pretty, pretty cool answer. So yeah, I mean, there, some of them are like that and other ones don't even want to know about it. They just like, I just want you to win and just make it happen however you can. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, who wants to win more than the head coach? Maybe no, the, know. maybe the owner, but, yeah, or the GM, but the head coach, their livelihood depends on wins. Exactly. Uh, coach Garrett from the Cowboys, he knows that now that he's not there anymore. Right, that, right. He was just let go. Yep. And I'm a Giants fan. Shermer was just let go. Yeah. So this is what happens. The, the life of a football coach is brutal. Yeah. You know, you they're a lot. And they're in the film room all the time, even the off season, right? It's exhausting. And that's another thing. A lot of, a lot of guys, when uh, to stay awake in film, because you're not just watching film, you're, you're watching film with no sound. And so you're just sitting here watching the play over and over and over again. And you're just like trying to walk, look and see like, how does, how does his, like if for a defensive guy, a defensive lineman, you're looking at the offensive lineman. You're like trying to see how is this guy's weight distributed? Is there more weight on his hand? Is he leaning back? Is it going to be a pass or run? Trying to see any kind of sign that you might have an idea of what the play is before it actually happens. And you have to like memorize all this stuff and guys, I mean, it gets really monotonous and all kinds of guys get in there with like uh tobacco like dip and stuff like that just to stay awake i remember when i was in san francisco i tried out with the niners um that, it, that didn't work out but that was 94 i think three something um bryant young a stud defensive tackle from notre dame uh was their first round draft pick i believe and he would be sitting in meeting rooms and he would have like a whole can of copenhagen his lip would be sticking out so far you could look down and just see i mean it was it was crazy it was crazy what the guys would do just to stay awake in the meetings. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I think for the listeners out there who aren't football fans, it, I think it's important to throw into this mix that even though it is a brutal sport, it's also a very intelligent sport. It's a very, I mean, it's like brutal and intelligent and it's like the best of both worlds type thing. And, you got a game plan and it's, it's, you got to be smart to play football. You can't be dumb playing football. I mean, every single, every single game you have like a book like that thick for that specific team. That's, yeah. I mean, now they have iPads where they just download everything, but I mean, you're constantly restudying and trying to figure out, okay, what's their play? What's, and what's our defense against this particular offense and in this situation. And I mean, it's, and then you use special teams, you throw that in there too. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It is a lot. And and then you got the media scrutinizing you every game. If you're in the NFL, of course. Right. Take me take me to San Francisco, please. Right. You you're in the locker room. You, this is the days of the great Jerry Rice. Yeah, Steve Young actually. Uh, Joe had retired. Coach Seifert was there, and um, they. And this is interesting too because this kind of shows how it works. They um, so their scout had come to Vanderbilt and had us run and we actually had to run in the um, basketball stadium because it was raining. We couldn't run outside. So he liked, you know, we were, so we were trying to run forties, but so when you try to run a 40 yard dash inside on a basketball court, you have to like measure it out like crossways across the basketball court. I mean, it was not the best situation, but anyway, so I showed up and uh, there was a guy that was trying, what they do is they fly you out. You get a, you get a two way ticket, two way ticket. They fly you out for the weekend, you go through some practices and then if, and then if they don't say anything to you, then you just go back to the airport and fly home. Mm -hmm. They don't even tell you if you're cut or not. They just don't say anything. So you just, the only way you stay is if they say, Hey, don't leave. And so, 
And so I was um, weighing about 250 maybe. And this was back in the, in the um, Reggie White days when, I mean, defensive ends were like 300 pounds. And so uh, got there. First thing the defensive line coach said, he's like, how much do you weigh? <laughs> and I told him, he's like, mm, okay. And uh, so go out there. And I remember thinking, I remember sitting in the locker room and the golden red helmets are hanging all around and, and, you know, the red jerseys are there and just kind of sitting and you have your name on a piece of masking tape over the, over the locker. Cause you know, you don't know if you're going to be there very long or not. So I remember sitting there and I was just, it's all about mind, mind space at that point. It's like, you know, are you going to be really committed to like making this happen or what are you going to do? And that's what I had done to get my scholarship to Vanderbilt because I didn't actually have a scholarship to Vanderbilt until after my first semester. And then they were like, you're on full scholarship after, after that. I was like, oh, okay. But uh, I sat there and I said, do I really want to commit to this and give it everything I have? Or do I just want to kind of enjoy being in San Francisco, meet some of these guys, just kind of hang out and just have fun and, and, and do it like that. And unfortunately I literally just was like, you know what, I'm just going to have fun. And it just, I mean, I went, I knew I wasn't big enough for them. And I mean, they were disappointed. I mean, they wanted me to be like 30 or 40 pounds heavier. And I was like, well, mm. that's definitely not going to happen in a weekend. That's and, pressure. Uh, and so, I mean, I remember one of my buddies was actually playing for them at the time. Um, Alan Young was there. He was, he'd been the defensive end um, at the other defensive end at Vanderbilt, which I thought was ironic. But uh, I mean, it was just, I, I had a torn meniscus in my knee at the same time too, which is always nice. But, uh, but they don't care about, they don't hear about that. They're just like, no, 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 get out there. Huh, and geez. I mean, you know, all those guys really, really nice. I, it was actually kind of funny because I remember some of the guys joking around. Uh, the guys from, there was a guy from Miami and a guy from Alabama and they were teasing each other on who got, which one got a pay cut when they went to the NFL because they got paid so much in college. <laughs> I was like, hmm, we didn't get, we didn't get paid much at Vandy. <laughs> right. So, I mean, this is not, I mean, there's so many things out there that happen. It's just, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And then you ended up becoming a, a high school football coach, correct? Yep. I uh, ended up going back. That was after, that was after, yeah, San Francisco. I uh, got released from them, went back and coached high school football and thought I was done. I was like, you know what? This is, I'm fine. That's done. I'll just help out my old high school. But how, how much pressure did you put on the kids? Um. I didn't really put a lot of pressure on the kids because I realized they were a lot younger. I could tell the, the one or two kids that really took it seriously and the other guys were just kind of doing it for fun. And, uh, but it was interesting because before games, they, we'd be stretching and stuff and I'd be walking around and I was just getting so fired up. And I was just like, if you guys aren't fired up right now, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, maybe I should, maybe I actually should, should try to play again. And so, but that's the hard part too, is because there's new players coming out every, every year. And so if you right. skip a year, there's a whole nother class in front of yeah. you. So it's like, eh, that's not good. Yeah. But I, uh, I paid like a hundred bucks and went to something called uh, scout camp. I don't even know if they, I think they have it still. I'm not sure. And, uh, went out to Plano, Texas and you pay a hundred bucks and the scouts come out and they watch you run through drills and stuff. And then if they like you, then they, you know, sign you up. There's teams from the NFL, CFL, uh, arena football, all that stuff. And, uh, and that was another weird thing. Cause we got there and we're staying in the hotel, all the guys that were going to be going to that thing. And there was a huge tornado and they like evacuated the hotel into the lobby. Everybody that stayed there had to be in the lobby, hoping that the hotel didn't blow away. Mm. And, uh, so not the best night's sleep. And, uh, wow. we, uh, and, and like the hail was coming down, breaking windshields of ca parked cars and stuff. And it was crazy. So then they're like, well, we're still going to have run tomorrow because it's AstroTurf and so it'll probably be dry enough so we can do that. I was like, okay. And Rich Sneed was there. He was the personnel guy for the Oilers and uh, was, he's the only NFL team there. And uh, he said, it, for some reason, it said I weighed 260 and, at the time, which I don't really think I did. But uh, he, he kept asking me, he's like, you really weigh 260? I was like, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> And uh, so he had me run drills and he was like, you know, well, I didn't even have an agent. I was like, I think my dad was my agent or something. And he was like, um, well, you know, we're going to, you know, we might give you a call in a couple of days. Just, just, let, you know, just sit tight. And I was like, okay. And I went home and he literally called me up one day and he's like, we want to offer you $113,000. That's the, the league minimum uh, to come play for us. We, there's a contract in the mail on the way. 
there's also a, uh, somebody flying out. I lived in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas at the time. There's also one of our representatives flying out to give you a drug test to make sure you're clean. I was like, well, that's interesting. I haven't even stepped on the practice field yet. I was like, okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And, and then, and then he was like, and you also need to get an agent by the way. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> There's so much that goes into this. Oh yeah. You know, making sure your weight is good, yeah. making sure you're healthy. Uh, the drills, the practices, the coaches. Yeah. Then, John, isn't there another aspect where the guys want to go out to the bar oh, yeah. club and there's girls who love ballers, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, isn't there that dynamic or you can, you can get in trouble off the field too? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a whole new world. I um, had a friend of mine that I played with, uh, Mike Ulafale. I played arena football in L.A. with him, and he had played for the Cowboys for a while back in the day. And he said that the Cowboys actually, and this, I don't believe it's around anymore, but I can't remember, I wish I could remember what they called it. They called it like the playhouse or something like that. There was like a house that you could go to as players. And he was like, it was no holes barred, whatever you wanted, girls and drugs and whatever you wanted. And wives and girlfriends were not allowed. It was just, I mean, it was, and he said it was crazy. And then one time, I guess one of the guys, when the wives found out about it or something and it ended up not being very good, but, but yeah. And that's the thing too. You are in this sport where you get paid to be aggressive and have all this testosterone. And I mean, if you're taking additional testosterone, you're a little, little crazy and you're beating yourself up and you start drinking and stuff. And that's just kind of, that's how you learn to kind of deal with life. And so then, you know, you're in the off season or something, something's going on or whatever. And somebody says something to you or looks at you sideways at a bar. You're just like, you, what you want to go? And and it's like, you got to be able, you have to be able to have an off switch where you don't, you're not always wanting to fight. It's like, you just everybody calm down. Right. But, but yeah, it's uh, definitely the party side of it is a little, uh, a little interesting. And that was really eye opening for me because I, I remember, sitting um at a bar once with some of some of the buddies in houston when i was there and and i mean it's, it's t- literally it's totally backwards i had a girl sitting on either side of me and they were both buying me drinks mm. i mean it was it was weird and i remember i was leaving with one and looked back and the other one was telling me to call her i was like this is don't you see me walking with the other girl i don't, didn't care <laughs> didn't care at all no i understand because i come from the radio business. Yeah. So I've been around a lot of celebrities, Drake, you know, LL Cool J, all of them. Yeah. I, so I've seen what groupies look like. I've seen what they're capable of. I mean, you're it's, just like, where's your self-respect? <laughs> it, it's, I, I, there needs to be studies done on it. I, <laughs> like it's a fun, it's a phenomenon. Yeah. It really is. And of course the guy is going to take advantage of it if he's, you know, single or whatever. But Right. You know, but just a high pressure business that you were in there for a while. And uh, is it true also that you had a friend who unfortunately took his life, right? Yeah, that was the one friend I was telling you about earlier that died when he was 22. Yeah. And it was, it was just. Was it the pressure? Well, see, that's the thing. He had, he had, you know, that and he had he had an injury so that he wasn't playing up, up to snuff for himself. Cause he, he just didn't, he didn't want to, I mean, he put so much pressure on himself. He just wanted to be the best football player ever in the history of football. And so when he got hurt, he wasn't able to do that. And I mean, he just, he, he, he just didn't know what else. That's all he wanted to do. And since he wasn't able to do that, he didn't really know why he was around, I guess. I don't know. It was, it was really sad. Right. And I, again, there's something, one of the words that comes up on this podcast a lot is attachment. You know, Mm -hmm. we attach to something and we attach so hard that when it's removed, we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. It could be, it it could be a relationship. It could be a house. It could be your status as a football player. Mm -hmm. It's like your identity gets ripped away. And then it's like some, some people are are caught in that void, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. it sounds like, you know, with him. Unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of, that's one of the things that um, Jeff Fisher uh, was the coach in Houston when, when I was there. And, you know, obviously he was the Rams coach. Now he's not working. But uh, 
he talked about when he played uh, Chicago Sweetness, the running back. Payton, Walter Payton, yeah. Walter Payton said that when he retired, he was suicidal mm. because because he was just like, there is absolutely nothing on this planet that, can that is the it. same as being on a field with thousands of people screaming your name and cheering for you. He's like, it gets real quiet when you're done with football and you're just kind of like, like you said, sure. it's like you're attached to that. And it's like, well, now what? What, what, what am I now? I can't go for a job interview until I play football. I mean, that's. Well, this is, this is a lot of the really big competitors with that obsession. You see them jump right into business. Michael Jordan did it. Kobe Bryant did it. Jack did it really well, too. You see LeBron transitioning now. Yeah, getting into movies and stuff like that, yeah. And, and it's like they're moving one obsession to the other because it's that competitive fire that they need it to be burning all the time. And I'm, I'm not so sure that it's, it's, it's healthy, really, but um, yeah. to each his own. It's show business, man. Yep. You know, f- football is under the umbrella, the big umbrella of show business. Absolutely. It's funny you say that because when I played um... – the last year I played, I played arena football in Las Vegas and I blew out my ankle. And at one point they tried to tell me that I wasn't um, entitled to any workers comp because it's, it was the entertainment business. Mm. And I'm like, well, first of all, that's not true. And they were trying to say I was like a casino show or something. And I'm like, uh, no, but yeah, it's the same idea. I was just, yeah, it's crazy. And you also played in the XFL the original yeah. XFL with Vince the McMahon. Original in San, it was also in San Francisco. That was, that was a lot of fun. It was, I have a really fun, really funny story about that. Uh-huh. I, uh, that was another situation where I started out at the XFL team in Las Vegas. Cause that was the old coach that I used to play for in Scotland when we won the championship in the world league, which was the NFL Europe. And then now it's not there anymore either. But, um, I got released from there and went home back to Arkansas and I weighed about, uh, it's always about weight because football and that's just, I associate mm-hmm. with that. I, I don't know. I probably weighed about 260 at the time. And uh, then for whatever reason, I discovered creatine at that point. I had mm-hmm. not found creatine for whatever. I can't believe I hadn't because I started taking creatine and gained 30 pounds in six weeks. Wow. And I mean, granted I had headaches all the time and I didn't really feel great, but I, Gained 30 pounds. That's all I cared about. Right. And I mean, I was lifting like a crazy man and uh, got in touch with uh, San Francisco, actually got in touch with me, I guess, probably my agent at the time. And um, I said they were interested in, in having me come out for a tryout or something. And I was like, okay, well, when are you flying me out? And they're like, oh no, you got to pay to fly yourself out. I'm like, nope, not doing that. You don't, you don't want me bad enough. I guess you're not in neat and big, big enough need for me or something. And then the next week, I guess somebody got hurt. And so they flew me out the next week. And uh, they flew me out on a thir- Thursday. I and I hadn't practiced at all. I went out and um, practiced with them uh, that Thursday afternoon. I don't know. I guess I took my physical that earlier that morning or something. I mean, it happened really fast. And the next thing I know, I'm on the plane flying to Chicago to play at Soldier Field, the, the old Soldier Field against hmm. the Chicago team. They, I didn't have a name on my jersey, on the back of my jersey. You know, they had all those, he hate me and all that stuff. Yeah. Didn't, didn't have any of that stuff. It was just a blank, blank jersey. <laughs> and uh, so I go out there and it was, it was like a movie. It was really funny because I'm standing there I'm, and I, I literally had to learn the entire defense on the airplane on the way to Chicago. Wow. I'm like, okay. And so uh, the defensive line coach is like going through all this stuff and he's like, you know, you're probably not going to play, but you know, just, just so you know, you need to know this. I'm like, all right. So sure enough, go out there. First quarter, the uh, guy that I was backing up blew out his ankle. And, oh, I got to go in the game. And Mm. go in there and was just so excited to be playing and started doing really well. And I think I ended up with, like, I led the defense in tackles, I think, that game. I had, like, 13 tackles or something. Wow. During the game, because I didn't have the name on the back of my jersey, I'm standing on the sidelines next to one of the coaches. And the fans are chanting something. I'm I'm like, what are they saying? It's like they're chanting Rudy because they don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I 
was just like, what? It was pretty funny. The only league where you can go out there with no name on the jersey. I know, huh? I was just like, all right. How much do you weigh now? You know, it's funny because I was just asking one of the other docs in the office. He's he's a pretty skinny guy. He's 6'3", 160 pounds. I'm like, oof. Wow. Yeah, he's skinny. But And I told him, I was like, well, I weigh 100 pounds more than you because I thought I weighed 260. And I was like, well, I guess I better go weigh myself to see how much I actually do weigh. And I and I and the scales are a little iffy, but I probably weigh around 235, 240. And you're what, about 6'3"? 6'4". 6'4", yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was actually joking around saying, I wonder if I could get down to 200 pounds. I was like, I haven't been that since senior year in high school. <laughs> and everybody's like, no, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> okay. How, how do you go from being a football player to being a chiropractor and nutritionist? I was playing uh, arena football in Buffalo and was just like, you know what? I, I know I can't do this forever. I need to figure out what else I'm going to do. And so all the teams that I played for had their own team chiropractors where they come in and adjust you before games and stuff. And so I was asking one of the chiropractors there, I was like, so what do you have to do to be a chiropractor? And, you know, he said, it's, it's a five-year program, but there's other school, there's schools you can go to that'll compress it into three and a half years and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay. And I was like, what else do you think would be good? And he's like, well, you could be a surgeon. I mean, you can't, you'd, you'd have to be an orthopedic surgeon because you got big hands. And so you don't want to, you can't be in there doing like heart surgery or anything. And I was like, yeah, but how long is school for that? And he's like, Oh, that's, that'd be like five years of this. And then like a 10 year residency or something crazy. And I'm like, okay, well I'm not 20. So let me see, let me think about the chiropractic thing and, and applied, got in actually my first semester in chiropractic college, I was still wearing the uh, boot on my left ankle because I'd blown it out in the game that, in Vegas that one time. So I just kept walking around with this big cast on my foot. Mm. And um, so the reason, uh, the one of the other reasons I became a chiropractor is because I had gone to a chiropractor that said that cayenne pepper, and this got me into the nutritional stuff, cayenne pepper helps dilate the arteries and helps with <clears throat> circulation and, and, and heart function, cardiovascular function. Sure does. And I didn't, uh, I'd never heard of that before. And I didn't know that chiropractors even knew about that kind of stuff. And so I was mm. like, that's really interesting. And, uh, so then I got my advanced sports nutrition certification and then have been constantly researching different supplements and and different things that work for brain function now, because that's my biggest thing. I feel like for, you know, that 15, 20 years or whatever, I focus on the physical part. And now because of that, and kind of abuse the physical a little bit, that my brain got a little messed up. So I want to make sure my brain stays healthy. So I'm doing everything I can to make sure it stays where it needs to be. Cause that's sure you, you only get one brain. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're helping other folks with yeah. that, especially with your book, uh, yeah. head games. Where do we go yep. from here? Yeah. Wow. I've got that book. I've got, um, the, I've got three books on uh, vision, natural vision correction. Cause that was another funny thing is I, uh, have an astigmatism and, can't or I couldn't see very well um, for football, but they said I couldn't wear contacts because they would have to be like the hard ones or, or no contacts wouldn't even work. I think they said, and I was like, okay, so I'm playing football kind of half blind. And uh, so <laughs> after football, ironically, I discovered the Bates method for um, healing your vision without contacts or glasses or anything like that. Mm. And uh, I mean, it just ended up taking off. Everybody loves it, loves the book. It's been really popular. And it's just, and I combined that because that was, he was an ophthalmologist back in the late 1800s that said, you know, glasses, that's something that is kind of like a crutch. It's not going to help your vision get better. Yeah. It's just going to make you more reliant and going to get, they're going to get weaker and weaker because you're not using those extra ocular muscles on the outside of the eye to help well, change he- the shape. I can relate to that because I just started wearing cheaters, reading glasses. Like oh my a, gosh. A year <laughs> ago. <laughs> and um, obviously I'm a big reader, so right. it helps reading. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed that when I, when they're off and I'm just in regular mode, my eyesight's getting worse. Yep. So I'm like, it's got to be from the glasses. Yep. It so is. You're, you're confirming that. I'm confirming. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so what do you, so give me, uh, give me and the listeners some exercises for the eyes. Uh, exercises are real simple. One of the biggest things is you don't want to squint because when you squint, that causes strain on the muscles because all of these muscles, there's six muscles on the outside of the eyeball 
I don't, I didn't bring my eyeball little model thing, but um, what it does is it changes the shape of the eye. And instead of worrying about the, the lens and, and all that stuff, you're, you're changing where, so you have the lens, let me see. All right. Say so the lens is here and the back of the retina is here. So this is like the movie screen that you focus your images on. And so <laughs> with the extraocular muscles, it changes the shape of the eye. So it's moving around where, where this is. So it focuses it that way instead of worrying about changing the shape of the lens to focus it right there. Mm. And so it's just a different way to focus the eye. And so you don't want to be stressed because you can't, that's the muscles aren't going to move the way they're supposed to. So instead, instead of squinting, you, you want to breathe, you do deep breathing, yawning, ah, energetic yawning, they call it because that helps really force fluid into the eyes and oxygen into the eyes. You do your, your basic um, looking straight ahead. You look up at 12 o'clock and straight ahead and then just go all the way down around the clock face with the eyes. And that's working all those different eye muscles. Mm. And you do that for 10, 15 minutes a day. And um, that's going to help them. One of the things, one of the things that's going to be really good for you is called shifting. And so say you're looking at a book that's close up. All right. So you look at that for a little bit. Then say you're working at the computer doing a bunch of research or something. You're looking at the computer and then you want to take a minute like every hour or so and look off at something that's about probably eight, nine feet away and then be by a window or something where you can look at something even further outside the window and just shifting your, your gaze from that instead of saying focused on one section for hours and hours and hours at a time. Mm. That, that helps a lot too to help you be able to focus better. Wow. Eye tips from Dr. John DeWitt, who <laughs> not too many years ago would knock your block off. <laughs> but I would only because I was paid for it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I just love transitional stories like that. It reminds me of my story from being in show business and then, you know, becoming a, becoming a doctor myself and just love to see people evolve. You know, you don't have to be in the same thing forever. You know, you can evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I feel like we're, I think we're here not for a very long time at all. And no, you know, if you start getting bored with whatever it is you're doing or you don't enjoy it at all, you're just wasting time. You need to figure out what really lights your fire and gets you fired up and, and start doing that. Cause that's going to make life more fun. Yeah. We only get 80 years, give or take. Mm -hmm. Sometimes sure. people a lot less, a lot less. I mean, my dad right now is 73 and, and he, his dad died at 73. And so it's just like, oof. Right. Right. Yeah. So John, what, what are your, what do you do for yourself to maintain some inner peace? Cause you, you have a busy life. You have a practice. You work with Dr. John Bergman, right? Yep. One of the busiest practices out yeah. there. I mean, we're always going and actually no, he's, a, he's one of the more popular. Yeah. We've got, we got a clinic down in Tijuana now too, which is ironic. So, I mean, it, it's just, there's ultimately there, there's going to be offices all over the world. And so it's just, you know, that's stressful. But um, one of the things, this is really interesting too. Um, I was watching uh, one of the football games, I think the other day, and um, I think it was LeBron James. There was a commercial with him talking about the Calm app, about uh, the meditation app that he uses. Yeah. But they have all these different programs from five minutes to 45 minutes of guided meditation to kind of help you focus on your breathing, kind of be more in the moment, kind of block out the outside world. And you got to go inside a little bit and just be like, okay, check in with yourself. How am I doing? You know, you know, how is that? What don't worry about, you know, you have to get this done. You have to do that. Don't forget to do that and schedules and all that stuff. Just, just be in the moment and just focus on your breathing, mm -hmm. making sure you're drinking your water. That's really, really big. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Granted, New Year's Eve is, is an exception for most. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But it's um, we, we always recommend you go to bed around 10 or 1030 and get you about seven and a half hours or so of sleep. You don't need to have more than nine hours or less than five hours because there's higher disease rates when you have more or less. Magnesium glycinate, that's another supplement I, I recommend, two to 300 milligrams before you go to bed at night. That helps a lot actually with uh, lucid dreaming too. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always researching stuff um, like, okay, well, this is the physical part. And I've already done the physical with, with the football and, and, the, and the chiropractic, I'm doing that. But also the chiropractic is working on the nervous system and the brain and, and energy and things like that. So then you kind of get more into the, the lucid dreaming. And I don't know, have you ever had a lucid dream before? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, it's one of the coolest things ever because you're like, I'm dreaming. Okay. Let me have this happen and let me have that happen. And it just, I mean, you're like in control of what happens and it's just a really exciting and interesting experience. And so I'm trying to, um, get more into that and try to, I, I don't know. I'm all, I'm always trying to figure out the, to keep the spiritual and the physical balanced and, and sure. that's, that's the latest thing I've been working on. Well, lots of gems on this recording that can help a lot of people and especially me with my vision. Yes. So I'm going to get working on those exercises. Yeah. And all my websites are, are in the process of getting updated right now. So unfortunately they're not, they're not uh, up and running, but yes. Uh, where, can, where can people come say hello to you? Uh, they can, uh, well, I mean, if they really want, they can shoot me an email. They, my, my personal email is drjohndewitt at gmail.com and I'll, I'll answer those as quickly as I can. All right. Very cool. And how about on social media? Can they come find social you? Social media, Dr. John DeWitt on Facebook. Um, I believe it's the same on Instagram. I don't even remember. It's hard to keep up with all this digital stuff, isn't it? I know. It's just like so much stuff. Uh, yeah. Instagram is also Dr. John DeWitt. LinkedIn is, is John DeWitt. Um, you remember the days when we just had a phone number? <laughs> I remember days we didn't have a phone. <laughs> yeah, we just we had to stay. Like I, I have to go make a call. I got to go home and go to the kitchen and have that really long. Cord. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I got a long cord. <laughs> if you have a long cord, that means you're doing well, right? Exactly. You're your big time right there. <laughs> All right, John. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, this episode dealt with the pressure of show business yet again connecting to episode number 32 that I did with Nancy Barrow. Also episode number 35 with ambition is a disease. So you see this all connects together. It all connects together. If you're looking for my work, be sure to go to drreese.com. That's doctor spelled out. And of course on the Instagram at dr.reese. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.